0: Episode 106 of the Shock Shock Knicks podcast on the Posting and Toasting Podcast Network. Sean St. Jacques back here with you for another week of Knicks and NBA Talk. We're in the final stage. We're in the NBA Finals now. We'll talk Suns-Bucks going into Game 2 of the Finals. We'll look back at Game 1. We'll look at also how the series could potentially pan out moving forward. And obviously we'll talk plenty of Knicks, NBA draft, and news as well. And just NBA draft potential in general moving forward as the offseason, at least for the Knicks and all but two teams, moves on. So there's a lot to get to as always on the show this week. We'll start with the finals, I think, just because obviously it was a pretty entertaining game one. Game two will have happened Obviously, we get caught in the air again here, a tough time with the podcast having to be recorded on a Thursday and put out for Friday morning, so we do we won't have a chance to fully react to game two until next week, but we got plenty to talk about with game one and obviously the series as a whole moving forward. You guys will obviously know the result of game two when the podcast goes out. Okay, game one of the series now now to be fair the biggest storyline going into game one was the health status of Giannis Antetokounmpo he ended up playing he ended up playing well in the game also I, I think he really shined at times in the game however however Giannis wasn't the only one making their NBA finals debut in game one there were plenty of nba finals debuts listen chris middleton led the way for the bucks 29 points he was really really good again he's had a phenomenal postseason a huge reason the bucks are eastern conference champions for the first time since the mid-70s 74 i believe was the last time they were in an nba finals the suns haven't been there since 93 i believe when the suns led by charles barkley lost to the mj led bulls in the finals in six games so Middleton was great. Giannis playing through an injury, you could tell was not hundred percent, still had 20 points and 17 rebounds. However, not to be outdone, DeAndre Ayton making his finals debut, 22 points and 19 rebounds, 19 rebounds for an essential playoff novice. I mean, it's, it's, he's had an unbelievable postseason. I said earlier on, I believe before the playoffs started, that if the Suns were going to go on a run, their X factor was DeAndre Ayton. He's been more than that. He's been a key cog in what the Phoenix Suns have been able to do this postseason. So I give him a ton of credit for what he's done. He was dominant in game one, but the star amongst the stars was Chris Paul making his NBA Finals debut as well. 32 points, four rebounds, and nine assists for CP3. A masterpiece again. He had a masterpiece in Game 6 of the Western Conference Finals. He added another piece to his portfolio to go up in a museum one day of his triumphs. I mean, it was another really phenomenal performance, and what a way to kick off your NBA Finals debut in style at home, and, and honestly, the Bucks, despite great performances, were never really in control of this game. Suns had it in pretty much their hands for most of the night. There was—I'll say this—watching the game, there weren't many times where I thought the Bucks were going to go on and win the game. There weren't many opportunities where I thought the Suns would let it go. They defended really well. The Bucks struggled at times. Uh, I, I think in the third quarter, in particular where where they just kind of didn't get their feet under uh, under them and and listen listen the, the suns and, and bucks played two pretty tight quarters to start and then i thought that the third quarter the the suns kind of took control of the game but even during the first half i never thought the bucks were going to have a lead and hold on to it you know that kind of a thing so the bucks had a little bit of fight in the fourth in the end the suns won it relatively comfortably 118 to 105 now it's game 1 if recent history tells us home teams normally do very well in game ones, that doesn't mean they win the series. Game two, which you'll know the result of, is a vital game for the Bucs. I think if they snag it, uh, this could be a very, very interesting series. I really do. I, I think if the Suns, the Suns, I think, have, have been one of the few teams this postseason who have not dropped an early game at home all postseason. I'm trying to think of when they've lost this postseason. I think. Th- Actually, no, the only time they did was the Lakers series when the Lakers beat in a wounded Suns team without Chris Paul, who was dealing with that shoulder injury at the time. They tied the series at one. And to be fair to the Suns, they went to LA and they got a game back in the series. They reestablished home court and they won the series in six games. So I, I take that back. The Suns have been in this position before uh, If they if they do drop game two and you'll know the result, obviously, but... I'm excited to see how they do. I mean, obviously the game two in the Western Conference finals ended up being crucial with the, with the Clippers looking like they were going to win it. And then uh, Paul George missing some key free throws down the stretch and leading to the DeAndre Ayton tip jam with about six tenths of a second left that ended up winning game two for the, uh, sorry, for the Suns, I should say winning game two for the Suns in the Western Conference finals. And that ended up being key because the Clippers, as we expected, did get back into that series, forced to game six, which the Clippers ended up dropping at home, obviously, through a CP3 masterpiece in game six. So listen, it's going to be a fun series, especially if the Bucks do get game two. I just worry about Giannis' health. I think that's probably the biggest X factor of this entire series is, is what is the status going to be of Giannis Antetokounmpo. That's going to be, I think, what really dictates it. But if you're a Bucs fan, I think you've got to feel a lot better than you did going into game one about Giannis' health. He fought tooth and nail in that game and he showed a lot of good things. But can that continue, right? That's going to be the question mark moving forward for this Bucs team. How much more can they push out of Giannis in this series? Because frankly their chances of winning the Larry O'Brien depend on it. So it's, you know, the, the the fact that the Bucks have a lot still to deal with here in that regard is going to be extremely interesting to me. I, I'm not exactly sure, you know, how the coaching staff's going to deal with it. I think they're going, to, they're going to have to do almost minute by minute, right? How they're going to handle Giannis. I mean, you have to monitor him at all times. It's going to be very, very intriguing. I just want to throw this out there as well, because Devin Booker was phenomenal as well. I know he took a lot of shots, but he had 27 points in 42 minutes. His phenomenal postseason continues. And by the way, uh, one of eight from three, Devin Booker and Chris Paul in general have just been phenomenal from the mid-range. And I think multiple guys have started to point that out in the media in general. They, they kill you from that mid-range spot. And I remember a year or two ago that the thought was, is the mid-range jumper dead in the NBA? It's alive and well because the team that's favored to win the championship right now is relying on it heavily at times because they're so good at it. Monty Williams, I think, has realized and other people have pointed this out as well, but it's very clear to see that he knows how good this team is from the mid-range and, and encourages them to take those shots. Why not be good at, you know, or I should say do what we're good at, right? And the Suns have been the epitome of that all season long. I think they were just really, really good. And by the way, by the way, they won game one with an awful game from Jay Crowder on the offensive end of the floor. Jay Crowder had one point and he got that point, obviously, from the free throw line. He went 0 of 8 from... The field and 0 of 5 from downtown. He still had nine rebounds, fought extremely hard as he always does on the defensive end. He put in a classic supporting act performance and was just phenomenal. A cue, i should say a key piece to you know what this Phoenix Suns team does. He answers a lot of those questions that teams have people have about their defensive acumen. And obviously, talk about the supporting cast, ten from Cameron Payne. And 14 from one of my breakout stars of this postseason, Mikael Bridges, who's just been phenomenal for Phoenix. So they're in the driver's seat. I think that's pretty clear to see. I think Phoenix, especially if they win game two, and I had them winning this series, frankly, before it started, but I think if they win game two, I don't see the uh winning this series. I don't. I think Phoenix could easily win one in Milwaukee, and I think that might do it. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens? Listen, I love this series to go six or seven games. I think we would, we've earned that as NBA fans. We've had a great postseason so far. Many memorable series. Many memorable moments throughout. But I think if the if this game can if this series can go six games, I think we'd be very very happy with that. But I'll say this: if Phoenix keeps playing the way that they are playing, and we don't get to see you know hundred percent from Giannis consistently. This series could go five games, and that's no knock on the box, but it just shows you how, in my opinion, it shows you how good Phoenix is. I think they've really been the best team this entire postseason, and I think it's coming to fruition in the finals. And I, and I, I again, before the postseason started, I had the Jazz winning the championship. Um, I wasn't sure about the Suns because of Chris Paul's health, right? And he was hurt early in the postseason, right? And he dealt with it. He's come back. He's been dealing with other injuries, COVID issues as well. Every team has been dealing with injuries. I think I think one, one thing I didn't like to hear was that, you know, well, the Suns haven't been dealt as many blows. No, they have. They have been dealt big blows. Devin Booker's been playing through injuries. Chris Paul's been dealing with a plethora of problems. I, I mean, their two biggest players have been dealing with issues the entire postseason. So I... I you know this whole well, the, well, it's the Sixers and the Hawks and the the Bucks and you know you look at the Jazz. Everyone dealt with the Clippers. So have the Suns. I, I, this whole thing that well, if the Suns if the Suns win the championship is the Lakers. The, every team's dealt with it first and foremost. Have the Suns gotten a little lucky? I Maybe, but Chris Paul looked like he was going to be out for the entire postseason against the Lakers. No one was, no one was talking about it then. So I, I, I the Suns have dealt with just as much as everybody else. I don't want to hear this whole lucky, lucky stuff. First of all, you are dealt the cards you have, and second of all, the Suns have de- have had some tough hands in this postseason. So I, I, I'm not buying that for a second. And I don't think you should either. This is absolutely nonsense to me. Listen, at one point, this postseason looked like LeBron and the Lakers were were the best team. Yes. They, they obviously were dealt a huge blow with Anthony Davis's injury, but they built the team like that. So that's on the Lakers, you know, like that, that's not on anybody else. And by the way, I think Phoenix beats them even if Anthony Davis is healthy. We saw the signs. So I, I don't I don't buy that for a second. And by the way, the only reason the Lakers took a lead in that series was because Chris Paul got hurt. Remember that. Anytime Chris Paul played in that series, he was the best player on the floor. So I, I, I don't buy that for a second. I don't. Along with, by the way, Devin Booker, who had a huge series against the Lakers as well. So... I, I'm not buying it. I don't buy that. So it, it, you get the cards that you're dealt, you deal with it, and the Suns have been dealt some pretty tough hands. They've they've had a few seven-two off suits this postseason. They've been able to handle it. So I I don't buy I don't buy into that whatsoever. The Suns need to get a lot of credit if they win this championship. A ton. They were they were counted out like many teams have been during this postseason. And Monty Williams, when he showed the signs in the bubble, him and the front office made the right moves, bringing Chris Paul, shoring up this team, and this team is delivered. Again, to be fair to the Bucs, we're one game in. The Bucs are a deep team. They're a good team. They've won games in this postseason without Giannis Antetokounmpo. But I think, if, I think if the Suns keep playing like they're playing, I don't think the Bucs win this series. I don't. I think with the Suns having home court, that's crucial, to be fair. I think if the Bucs had home court, I think it might be a tighter series, even without Giannis at 100%. But the Suns have home court where they've been dominant all postseason long. I, I think that that's going to be the difference in this series, along with the play of Chris Paul, Devin Booker, and the supporting cast. So I like the Suns moving forward. We'll see how game two goes. You guys will know the result of that. But we'll see. Listen, both of the it's great to see both of these teams in the finals, right? I, I think that I've said this multiple times this postseason, but it's just a beautiful thing to see new teams making history. In the NBA, we don't get that a lot. We really don't. I, I'm trying I was looking I was looking back at some of the prior NBA champions of the last, I don't know, ten years. It feels like the last one that was really, you know, somewhat historic as far as first was that Dallas championship when they surprised Miami in the NBA finals. Uh, first year, of the new big three with LeBron, Wade and Bosch, you know, since then it's been heat championships, Spurs championships, Laker championships, you know, that kind of a deal. So it's, it's uh <laughs> golden state Right with their with their championships mixed in there as well Cleveland with LeBron over Golden State coming back from three one probably is that other one that you would throw into that mix. but besides Cleveland's championship and Dallas's, there haven't been many that have been surprising. so I, I think that you know this is a this is a special thing if you're an NBA fan, neutral or not and you're watching this we've got to enjoy this one because obviously because we had the bubble last year, but also because we don't get to see new moments like this very often, you know, either CP three, Devin Booker and that crew are going to get their first championship. And Phoenix is going to get their first championship ever or Milwaukee with Giannis Middleton, Lopez, and that crew getting their True Holiday getting their first championship and the Bucks' first championship since I believe uh, Luol Cinder, aka Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, uh, led the Bucks to a championship back in I believe 1970 or 71. So we're going to get history either way, and it's very rare that that happens. Don't get me wrong; I loved I love it when it's Lakers, Celtics, or we get a historic championship from a big time franchise, the finals are always great. Right. But there's something special in sports when it's the first one, right. When it's the very first one for a player, an organization, that's, that's a special time. That's, that's really making history or the first time after a big drought. Those are the ones I think that bring more people together. Than the Lakers winning a 19th championship or the Celtics winning a 19th championship or, you know, a super team, quote unquote, although these are two really good teams, uh, being the favorites all year and then winning the championship. So this is, this is a great NBA moment. I think the league has got to be very happy with it. The Suns have the lead in the series. We'll see if that continues again, you guys will know the result of game two when you listen to this podcast And we'll look, we'll continue to look at this series closely as it moves on. It's a very, very cool thing. Uh, One last thing, because then we're going to take a break and then we'll talk uh, some NBA draft and, and we'll talk some Knicks NBA draft as well. Uh, The Bucs, I just want to mention this real quick. Um, The Bucs have been very good at home during this postseason. I, I think that should not be taken lightly. Um, they have fought back from a lot themselves this postseason in general, whether it's been the Giannis injury or just, you know, falling behind in series. You know, they, they they dodged a couple of bullets in that Brooklyn series in particular uh, to get here. So th- this Bucks team is going to be ready. There's It's a veteran group. It's, it's, it's to be fair, obviously novices in the finals, first time they've been here. But this is a team with a lot of depth, a lot of experience. They've dealt with the Dante DiVincenzo injury extremely well this postseason. Also, I think that's worth mentioning. He was a starter for them for a lot of the season, a big chunk. And he ends up not being able to feature for most of the postseason. And the Bucks have dealt with it. So I, I think you look at how Milwaukee has gotten here as well. And you got to give credit to Mike Budenholzer and the entire staff. I I think that they deserve a lot of credit, whether they win the title or not. The Bucks made history this year. Um, I think this is big for Giannis, as far as maybe being a Buck moving forward, that they have made progress and they have gotten to an NBA finals. And I think his legacy in Milwaukee is in good standing regardless, because... The Bucs have not been there in four decades and he's the one that got them back to the NBA finals along with Middleton and company. So the Bucks and the Suns both will be able to hold their heads up high after this postseason is over, but obviously one of them, and I think it's going to be Phoenix, is going to lift the Larry O'Brien trophy when it's all said and done. Okay, we'll take a break here. When we come back, we'll talk some Knicks draft, we'll talk NBA draft storylines, in general and a whole lot more on the shock shock next podcast on the posting and toasting podcast network i'm alex rodriguez and i'm jason kelly from bloomberg this is the deal each week you're here is in conversation with business icons this show will explore deal making across sports media and entertainment That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to the deal. Listen to the deal on Spotify. All right, second half of the show. We're going to dive into some draft stuff again this week. Honestly. It, not the biggest week for news. The NBA's, uh, uh, the NBA Finals has been the biggest thing this week, and that's a beautiful thing. So we we really just, you know, I had to spend a lot of the show on that. A ton of good storylines there, a ton of fun stuff to talk about. And again, you'll know the, the results of Game 2. We'll talk more finals next week. But let's talk NBA Draft and dive a little bit more into that. Um, I do want to talk Knicks, but first, I, I want to talk about this storyline that's been kind of floating around, basically like just before I got on to do this podcast, um, ESPN's Jonathan Giovanni, and apologies apologies if I'm mispronouncing that, um, he's reported that Oklahoma State star Cade Cunningham, pardon me, is not a lock to go number one overall in the draft. And the Pistons are exploring the possibility of trading the number one pick in the draft. Courtney ESPN as well. The Thunder, the Cavs, the Pelicans, and the Rockets have all inquired about what it would take to trade up to number one in the draft. I, I'm not going to look this up. I didn't have time, but off the top of my head, I don't remember the last time the number 1 pick has been traded in an nba draft heck i don't even remember the last time it was traded in an nfl draft this is a long like it's been a long time i have to think right i'm really intrigued by this now again this is not a lock at all they're exploring their options right other name other i should say other teams being floated out there to potentially move up include golden state by the way And Golden State's got a little bit of firepower here. They've got the 7th pick. They've got the 14th pick. James Wiseman's a piece they have as well. The Pistons were high on James Wiseman last year, according to ESPN as well. So this is very interesting to me. It's something definitely worth watching. You know, all all of those teams mentioned, right? The Pelicans, the Rockets, the Warriors, the Cavs, OKC all of them have pretty interesting packages that they could bring up here to give the Pistons something to think about on draft night. That also tells me that the Pistons are either not sold on Cade Cunningham or they don't think they need that position right now. And they want to, they really want to rebuild and get a lot of picks or maybe get a big player, something like that. I'm very intrigued. I'm very intrigued. Now, again, We're still a pretty far ways out from the draft. A lot can change. But this is a a story. This is something. You know, obviously the draft, you never know, especially with the NBA draft, the NFL draft as well. Things are thrown out there to try and spice things up, right? This, you know, controlling the PR battle can help in the boardroom, as they say. I'm but I'm, I'm curious here. This is interesting. This is interesting to be fair. And I think to be fair, most people that have seen the combine and and have looked into the prospects thoroughly. And even people like me that, you know, that talk about it on a podcast, anyone will tell you that, you know, Cade Cunningham is probably the best prospect in this draft. And for me watching him in college and, and, and things like that, hard to argue hard to argue with that. I think Cade Cunningham, when you look at what's available, is the most complete player in the draft, has the highest ceiling, and could be a very big help to an NBA roster right away. But the Pistons aren't sure. Or they're trying to drive the price up and see what they can possibly get. But that also tells me that they're not certain or they would just take him. You know what I mean? you don't go into this kind of thing if you're 100% sure you're taking them. So I, there's a little bit of doubt here with Detroit what they're going to do. Very intriguing for me. There's not, There hasn't been very much, you know, huge like league sweeping draft night drama in some time. This has a little bit of legs. This has some potential here to be very interesting as we get closer and closer to the draft. Detroit obviously won the draft lottery right? And most of the time, you know, you'll take your Zion and you'll be okay. You know, or your, uh, your first pick, pick who you think's best for the job and you move on. But we don't know what Detroit's going to do. Now, this kind of puts it up, up in the air. And I like that going into an NBA draft. Again, we still have, you know, three, four weeks until we get there, but this is exciting. I'm, I'm a little intrigued now as to what detroit can do now as far as this this going with the knicks the knicks obviously have two first round picks themselves some young pieces however i I think what the prize here is is not big enough for the knicks to be involved i think that's why you don't hear their name involved here the knicks have their future guys i think if you see any of those guys moved like we talked about last show they're gonna be moved for a damian lillard a Kawhi leonard somebody like that they're not gonna be moved for Cade cunningham the knicks feel like they've got their young core And if they're they're going to use any of those young guys like a Mitchell Robinson or someone like that in a trade, they're going to be getting a superstar back. That's what it looks like as far as potential deals for trades. So I think the Knicks will stand pat. I think they will do what they want to do with those two first round picks. Again, I talked about Ayo Dusumu a week ago out of Illinois, who I would love in late in the first round if the Knicks can swing it. And then they have that second first round pick where I, I think the Knicks have a lot of options. I really do i think when you look at the late first round options here um there's a lot of guys on the board that i think the knicks could be happy with a jared butler chris duarte comes to mind as well trey Mann could be another option late in the first round um if the knicks wanted to trade up again davion mitchell could be an option as well so then you look at that early second round pick there, there's good options for the Knicks there as well. So I, I think that the Knicks don't really need to move here. I, I think the Knicks have a ton they could get from their two spots at, uh, currently 19 and 21 in the first round. So I, I, I'm excited for where the Knicks are at kind of transitioning over to that because, you know, Cade Cunningham, that's all we got on it. You know, the, 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 Detroit's got a little bit of doubt as to what they're going to do. So I'm curious to see how that pans out for them. But then when you look at the Knicks, two first round picks, roughly $50 million in cap space. A lot lot can happen here. A lot of articles also talking about, you know, what the Knicks will do with those picks. Um, Sharif Cooper has been brought up out of Auburn. I think it's a very interesting one um there's some doubts about him but I think that he could be a really really solid uh point guard potentially for the Knicks and obviously another name that's been thrown out there a little bit more recently in a few drafts has been James Booknight out of UConn guy that played one year in the Big East last year with Connecticut after they transitioned from the American and you know was injured at times during the season and including parts of conference play but towards the end Really helped Yukon get to the NCAA tournament and obviously they they kind of flopped at the end of the of the postseason. they lost to Creighton in the Big East tournament. semis ended up getting blown out by Georgetown in the finals and then in the in the championship game, I should say. and then in the NCAA tournament, they lost to a Maryland team that that really wasn't great down the stretch either of the regular season in the conference tournament. So as a team with Booknight involved, they didn't really finish the season that well, but James Booknight is a really strong prospect. that's no that's not you know up for debate here. So Booknight's an interesting option as long as again, I think the Knicks need to get a point guard here if they get two guards, I think I'd be over the moon with that. If you listen, if you get Sharif Cooper, maybe you think an IO do is not going to fall to you, James Booknight's a great option there. I think, listen, if you, I'll say this. If you come out with any two of Desumu, Booknight, and Cooper, you're feeling pretty good about yourselves if you're the Knicks with that first round. And then you're looking into the second round, that early second round pick, and you're feeling, you know, you're feeling like you can mix it up a little bit. There's There's guys available... And by the way, some have Sharif Cooper going late in the second round. So that, that, that kind of gives you some options. It gives you some opportunities to, if that happens, obviously, I'm not saying that you go by the mock drafts if you're the Knicks. I'm just saying that if that were to happen, if Sharif Cooper falls out of the first round because you liked somebody else, he could be there for you at 32. He could be. It's possible. So it, it's an interesting... A very interesting situation where the Knicks could get a lot better through the draft. But to be fair, the interesting part as well is that some people have James Booknight going in the lottery. That's the other problem, right? (laughs) James Booknight might get taken very early in this draft. He could be a top 10 pick. It's very possible. There's teams up there where he would fit in pretty well. You know, maybe even a Golden State, an OKC, a Sacramento, maybe New Orleans, Charlotte at eleven would be, I think, an interesting one as well. They they could be looking for a shooting guard. I think anyone that goes to San Antonio is going to feel pretty good about themselves. So even Indiana at 13, I think would be a pretty good fit for James Booknight. So we'll have to see. We'll have to see. He's a hot commodity at the moment, at least in you know, mid to late first round, potentially in the top 10, we'll have to see. But very curious to see what happens with James Booknight, and then, listen, I I think, to be fair, Io DeSumo could go pretty early, in this draft as well, could be a top end of the first round pick, a couple mock drafts have him going to the Rockets at 18, some have maybe OKC at 16, or Memphis at 17 being interested in him as well, so I, it's, it's gonna be interesting, it's gonna be interesting, 100%, Knicks won't be at the, uh, the, sorry, the Knicks also, before we talk a, a little bit more about the early second round pick, Knicks have a very late pick in the, in the second round as well at 58, very late in the draft, the third to last pick in this draft. And, and this is where you could take a chance on somebody. If you get your Desumu or your Cooper, your Butler, your book Knight. 58, I mean, guys like John Petty will be available. Maybe a guy that's not on the board, a Sandro Mamukalashvili out of Seton Hall. Aaron Henry out of Michigan State. Another guy that uh, I, I think about as well is Marcus Zegarowski out of Creighton. The only issue there is he's a point guard. So you might've already addressed that hopefully by then. So he probably wouldn't be on your radar if you're, if you're the Knicks. Um, one name that I, one name that was asked to me actually uh, by a buddy of mine when I when I told him I was going to talk draft this week was Sam Hauser, who is out of Virginia, formerly of Creighton. Uh, his younger brother Joey Hauser plays for Tom Izzo at Michigan State. They actually used to play together at Marquette. I, I, I'm worried a little bit with Sam Hauser only because he feels a little bit too one dimensional to me. He feels like a shooter. And and not too much else. Listen, he's got a, a solid mid range, can fade away on in the post. But I, I to be fair, if you're going to take somebody like that late in the second round, is not a bad place to do it. You know what I mean? He, he's a, he's an option for the Knicks, who could you know you can never have enough shooting. But I would look more into you know high ceiling kind of guys like a John Petty's somebody to me who maybe low on a lot of people's radars, but could have an explosive NBA career. Sandra Mamukalashvili is a guy that not nearly enough people are talking about that could at some point be a difference maker for your ball club. He's got that kind of NBA ceiling. He's almost built for the NBA. So I'm very excited to see if he gets picked or what happens with him as an undrafted free agent. We'll have to see his teammate, former teammate at Seton Hall, Miles Powell, obviously uh, with Knicks connections as well through the G League. So we'll see. We will We'll have to see how that pans out. But the Knicks have a ton of good options. And I have to reiterate this as well, right? We talk about the draft and, and things of that nature. This is probably the most excited I've been for an NBA draft for the Knicks in a long, long time. It, 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 there's a lot of positives that could come out of this. I think the Knicks have to be extremely satisfied with the position they're in at the moment. And I, I think when you look at the situation as a whole, I, I think Tom Thibodeau's got a ton of options. We talked about trades that could be made, by the way, as well. I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if the Knicks trade one of these four picks at some point. So I, I think... And then what, what, made, what makes this even nicer, right, is you know what RJ Barrett's doing with Canada what Emmanuel quickly and Obi Toppin are getting to do with with the US select team they're gaining that experience and they're going to bring it back and get even better with this Knicks team you just look at what this Knicks team could be next season the year after that there's a ton of upside just with what we've already got forget about potentially you know adding to that with a star or somebody like that. So I think when you look at the Knicks future, when you look at the Knicks in this draft, things get very, very interesting. And it seems like things are going up in the right direction. And I think Tom Thibodeau, Leon Rose and company are doing a really good job. And we'll see if they can make the most in if, you know, three, four weeks time of this NBA draft. All right, before we get out of here, a few more minutes left in the show, just going to run through the top ten real quick we we did it um, uh, a few weeks ago things have changed a little bit in some of the mock drafts yeah we just told you earlier obviously the news with Cade Cunningham that he's no longer uh, a 100% thing as far as going to Detroit Detroit's thinking about potentially trading this pick obviously we talked about the teams who were interested they're all high up in the draft most of them at least OKC ha- has the 6th pick Houston has the 2nd pick Cleveland are at 3 Golden State are at seven. So there, there's a lot of teams nearby in the draft. New Orleans, uh, who are at 10, are interested. There's a lot of teams that are nearby that, you know, could potentially make a lot of moves. By the way, New Orleans not only has the 10th pick uh, in this draft, but they also have, I believe, two second round picks as well. They're at 53. 53 they're at 43. Actually, they have three second round picks. They're at 43 and they're at 40. Oh my gosh, they have four and they're at 34. So they're at 34, 40, 43, and 53 in the second round. I didn't realize that. New Orleans actually might have the best package here to, to ship off to Detroit for this pick. They've got five draft picks and four second round picks. So if Detroit wants to move down and get a bleep ton of picks, maybe the Pelicans are the team that you look at here. I, that's a vi- The Pelicans might be the team that's got the best to offer for Detroit. Four second round picks. I did not realize that. To be fair, they're not the only ones with multiple. OKC has three second round picks as well. So that's another team to look at. Um, And I think, and they weren't mentioned in the article, but I believe Toronto has multiple second round picks and they're at four. So a lot of teams at the top have a lot of picks to kind of maneuver around here. Um, It's very, very interesting. I did not realize that uh, New Orleans had four second round picks in this draft, but they do. I don't think they're going to use all of them. I can't imagine especially after getting rid of Stan van gundy you know you might as well go for it here i this is very interesting I, I did not I, I did not realize that to be honest with you so maybe the Pelicans maybe the uh the thunder could be the two uh in more in the mix because they've got you know a little bit more to offer than maybe Cleveland does or maybe Houston although Houston does have uh four first round picks so that actually might be that might be. The juicier option when you look a little bit deeper they've got uh the picks at 18 23 and at 24 so maybe maybe it's the rockets i mean this is very this is very intriguing this is extremely interesting because everyone's got a pretty good amount they can offer uh houston does not have any second round picks but this is this is going to be extremely interesting if this is something that Detroit legitimately explores. I think when you look at the teams that are in the mix, Cleveland probably have the least amount to offer. I think their third pick might actually be their only pick in the draft. I'm looking through the draft order at the moment and I don't see them again. So I think Cleveland's only got one pick in this draft. So they might have to look at future NBA drafts as far as what they're going to do with that but houston's got four first round picks the pelicans have four second round picks and the houston rockets have three second or i sorry sorry, not the rockets the uh the thunder have three second round picks rockets have four first round picks including the second overall pick this is interesting they love Cade cunningham they've got the ammunition so do the pelicans and so do the thunder golden state. I guess we can briefly look into them. They got two first round picks in this draft. And I don't think they have any second rounders. They do not. So they're another, they have at least an extra pick in the first round to work with. But I guess when you're looking at again, depending on what Detroit wants, when you're looking at picks, Houston is probably got the best option here. They got a t- bleep ton of first rounders, but the Pelicans are right there. They've got four second round picks and they've also, you know, they have a, a place if you really want to trade down where you could trade down pretty far. You get the 10th pick and then maybe a few second rounders in there and you can really, you know, map out what you want to do. But to be fair, if you get Houston's deal, you might have their second pick, but then you also get back in the late of the late in the first round with possibly picks at 18 or 23 or 24, maybe multiples of that. So, oh man, this is extremely interesting. I I, I I harped on it maybe a little bit earlier, but this is a potentially massive story in the draft. If they're not sold Detroit on Cade Cunningham, this is where the draft could get extremely interesting. But again, really quick, we'll run through the rest of the top 10 Houston at two, they're looking at probably Evan Mobley, maybe a Jalen Suggs, Jalen Green. Cleveland at three, I think most people, unless they trade up, will get. They'll think they'll take Jalen Suggs out of Gonzaga. Maybe Jalen Green from the G League. Toronto, Orlando, OKC, you're looking at maybe a Green, a Scotty Barnes, Jonathan Kaminga. Maybe Keon Johnson, Jalen Johnson, at Tennessee and Duke, respectively. Maybe even James Booknight, where Golden State is, Orlando at eight. Sacramento, I, it feels like a Keon or Jalen Johnson pick to me. Maybe Corey Kispert out of Gonzaga, although some people have him going 10th to New Orleans at the moment. Kai Jones out of Texas. Moses Moody out of Arkansas. Zaire Williams out of Stanford. Franz Wagner out of Michigan. These are all guys that could be considered there. Even Io DeSumo out of Illinois could be in that range at the end of the lottery as well so there's a lot that can still happen but these are fun storylines to talk about let me know what you guys think about the draft as a whole and about where the knicks stand in it moving forward and let me know what you think about this Cade cunningham stuff i'm very interested to get your thoughts on what you think is going to happen or your or your thoughts on what you would do if you're the knicks or maybe the the rockets the, the the pistons obviously what deal you'd rather have and the pelicans as well and okc these teams that have a shot at maybe not a snagging and nabbing the number one pick in a trade from Detroit. Going to be very interesting to see how that pans out in the days and weeks to come leading into the NBA draft. That's going to do it for this week's episode of the Shock Shock Knicks podcast. Guys, thank you so much as always for listening. I will see you guys next time on the Shock Shock Knicks podcast on the Posting and Toasting Podcast Network.